The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Welcome to the club, the trillion-dollar club, as Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google make room for the latest member. Big banks, big dividends. After getting the all-clear from the Fed, Wall Street's biggest banks are handing out the cash to shareholders. A big bet on Bitcoin. The ambitious plan arcs Kathy Wood has up her sleeve that could get the retail crowd all fired up. Six months to remember. A wild start to the year for energy, banks, transports, and more. But one market watcher says, do not get caught up in the frenzy just yet. Drop that needle. Amazon going retro with a brand new subscription service. We'll tell you all about the Vinyl Club on this Tuesday, June 29th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us here on this Tuesday. Here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their day. And futures, well, they're setting up their day. Little change. They are a little bit higher. That's the good news on the Dow. Dow futures up 27. NASDAQ futures down exactly 27. All that after the broader markets hit another record high on Monday. The S&P at a record close. Not seeing a huge move in the futures right now. We do want to watch oil the next couple of days. Of course, it has been on a march higher all year. In fact, it hit 74 and a half bucks yesterday. Now, OPEC has got a big meeting on Thursday, but the OPEC technical committee meeting begins today. That's where they get together. They crunch the numbers. They make recommendations on what to do. The whisper out there is that OPEC plus likely to begin adding 500,000 to 1 million barrels a day onto the market beginning in August with some countries, though, entering new lockdowns due to the Delta COVID variant. Oil could be one to watch. We are a little low right now, but still at 72 and change for OPEC. Well, there is no OPEC for crypto. Well, not yet. But yesterday was a good day for the digital commodities. Ethereum up 17% on Monday. And we are seeing a little bit of follow through right now. Ethereum up 1.3%. Bitcoin up 1.5%. Bitcoin at 35,000. The gains are there, although they are much more muted than the big day that we had yesterday. Well, welcome to the club, the trillion dollar club, that is. No, not Rahel Solomon, at least not yet. But she is here with some of your other top stories, including a big milestone for one Facebook. Rahel, good to see you and good morning. How do you know that I'm not in the club? I'm not in the club. I'm I'm nowhere near the club. Good morning, Brian. Yes, let's start with uh, some big news 
for the big banks after getting a clean bill of health from the Fed. Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley say that they are boosting payouts to shareholders. Collectively, the group of five are raising per share payouts 40 percent from previous levels. They're also committing to buying tens of billions of dollars of their own stock as well. You can see they're all higher pre-market. Uh, Citigroup, though, was the lone mega bank to not increase its dividend or buyback plans. Facebook joining the club, closing above the $1 trillion market cap mark for the first time ever yesterday. It's now the fifth U.S. company to hit that milestone, joining Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and Alphabet. This after the company saw a favorable legal ruling that dismissed an antitrust complaint brought on by the FTC and a number of state attorneys general. A very, very exclusive club. And e-cigarette maker Juul says that it has agreed to pay $40 million to North Carolina to settle a lawsuit alleging that it had targeted teens with its products and marketing. The payout marking the end of just one, Brian, of a number of legal and regulatory challenges facing the once hot startup. Brian? A big lawsuit there. And uh, Rahel Solomon will see you again in a few minutes with trending and other top stories. Rahel, thank you. Good to see you. Likewise. All right, back down to your morning money. And your first guest today says that while stock valuations overall are not cheap, it's okay. As long as global growth continues to move higher as vaccines are rolled out around the world, Linda Bakshian is senior portfolio manager and head of the value income team at Federated Hermes. And she joins us again. Uh, Linda, it's great to have you back on. Uh, Okay, not cheap. Does that mean overpriced or on the edge of being overpriced? How do you see the macro markets generally right now? Well, which I think that the market is overly priced given the level of economic growth that we're expecting over the next, you know, 12 to 24 months. The, uh, the Fed still remains accommodative, even though there's going to start to tighten. Uh, we do have considerable amount of stimulus still in the market. The cap, the consumer still has considerable amount of firing power with the savings rate that they have. Employment is picking out. So there's a lot of positive out there. And we are about to get the second quarter earnings for companies. And although they will be good relative to last quarter, last year, I should say, we're really looking for, you know, comparison to 2019 level. And we do think that earnings are going to really drive and really valuations are going to come into their own as the second quarter earnings progress. Where are the earnings going to be the strongest, Linda? Well, we do think that certainly energy is going to have good earnings, financials, uh, technology, uh, materials. It's really going to be broad based, you know, really in the more value cyclical sectors of the market that have been benefiting from, you know, rising inflationary um, uh, prices. So materials, let's say, you know, in copper or steel or, you know, or in energy with energy prices moving higher. Financials, you know, you were just talking about financials returning. Uh, cash to shareholders. Mm-hmm. I think all of those sectors are going to have really good, strong earnings um, as we move through the next couple of weeks. You know, we talk a lot about a name like Bank of America. That's a name that I know that you like, that we have spoken in the past. But we don't talk a lot about Capital One Financial, but that is another financial you like. Why? Why? 
Absolutely. Capital One is going to be a beneficiary of the consumer spending. I mean, think about it. We all have those Capital One credit cards um, that we're spending. And the more we spend, the more essentially they make money. Um, so right now, savings rates are high and the consumer is using its own savings. But as we you know, go through that, we're going to be applying for more loans. We're going to have credit um, outstanding. And all of that means more profitability for these credit card companies. And it's not just Capital One. Bank of America and J.P. Morgan also do have very large uh, card businesses, as well as American Express. That's going to benefit from global travel once you know it actually opens up again. And if you've seen airfares lately, Linda, you know that you're probably going to have to take out a minor mortgage loan or at least jack up the credit card to be able to get on the plane because <laughs> the, the airfares are certainly sky high pun intended linda bakshi and a federated hermes yeah they'll throw it on a capital one card uh linda thank you very much we appreciate it have a great day thank you yeah there you're very welcome airfares out of control all right when we come back ahead of its american ipo pricing tonight Eunice Yoon is here take a closer look at the details behind uber clone dd plus forget 30 minutes or less Domino's rolling out a new two-minute guarantee in partnership with DraftKings. We'll tell you about it. And later on, Kathy Wood going all in on Bitcoin as J.P. Morgan throws some cold water on the cryptos. We've got a lot to do. Dow futures up just a touch. And we're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome or welcome back. Well, there are certainly big expectations for Uber's Chinese rival, Didi, when it prices its New York IPO later on today. But the app, which says it gets more than 90% of its sales in China, does much more than food delivery and ride hailing. So let's learn more about Didi. Yuna Shun, reporting now from Beijing. Didi driver Sun Ro has picked up his latest passenger, not a commuter, but a cabinet. People are more trouble than things, he says. Moving furniture or anything else is just one special service offered by Didi Chuxing, or Didi Go Travel in Chinese. Outside of China, Didi is probably best known as a nemesis to Uber, a ride-hailing app where you could call a private car or a taxi. But in China, you could do a whole lot more. Here, you can book a spot on a shuttle bus, or the entire bus, carpool, or hop onto a Didi rental bike. 
Another feature that could come in handy is if you had a big night out and you might not want to drive, but you have your cars. Didi allows you to hire a driver to get you home. The app tells a designated Didi driver where you are, and minutes later, you're off in your own vehicle. So what? For people who own an EV, the app can locate the closest charging station on Didi's ever-expanding network. For those who want a Didi EV ride, Didi has launched the D1, an electric vehicle custom-made for car sharing, with Warren Buffett-backed automaker BYD. Didi dominates ride-sharing here, so it's exploring entirely new areas now, like fintech, as well as a hot new trend called community buying, which is essentially residents getting together and buying in bulk in order to get greater discounts. And all of that, Brian, is meant to have Didi find a path to profitability. Kind of like an Uber here, trying to find that path. All right, and like Uber, we've got Lyft and maybe a couple of others. Does Didi have real competition, Eunice, or is it all about Didi? Well, by and large, it's all about Didi because it is a major player. It's the dominant player. But actually, there are competitors here. In fact, there are 200 other brands that do this type of business. It's just that they're very small or they're niche players. And so because of that, they they exist. But at the end of the day, Didi does take the vast majority of the market. So you're going out with your friends to a dinner, maybe some cocktails on a Friday night. (laughs) We're seeing Beijing behind you. Didi is the app that is on your phone. I'm not saying they've got the market to themselves, but it sounds like they've got a giant chunk of the Chinese market. They absolutely do. They absolutely do. And that's actually another reason why uh, people are a bit cautious when it comes to investing in DD because they have the big question mark about if they're such a dominant player, why don't they have the profits to match that? And then um, there also there is a lot of concern about the tech crackdown here. Will uh, Beijing scrutiny uh, really uh, become a problem for Didi? And also whether or not the U.S. scrutiny and restrictions on uh, their accounting could become a problem if, if transparency eventually becomes an issue with the Biden administration taking on uh, the Trump administration's concerns about Chinese listings. All right, well, it's a huge IPO coming later on today in the States here. Eunice Yoon. Eunice, we appreciate it. Good to have you on again. Always a pleasure, Eunice. Take care. All right, still on deck. Amazon going hipster. The NFL going big into Pride Month. And Domino's Pizza, new two-minute guarantee. But it's not what you think. Your top trending stories are ahead. Dow Futures up 34. We're back right after this. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome or welcome back. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines, including the very latest on the frantic search for any survivors 
in Surfside, Florida. NBC's Francis Rivera is here now with that and more. Francis, good morning. Hi, Brian. Good morning to you. Yes, rescue operations are continuing for a sixth day in Surfside, Florida. So far, 11 people have died in that collapse. More than 150 people are still unaccounted for. The cause of the collapse is still under investigation. Triple-digit temperatures are helping to fuel dozens of wildfires in the western states. The Shell Fire north of Los Angeles has burned nearly 2,000 acres since Sunday. Authorities say it was started by a car fire. According to the National uh, Interagency Fire Center, there are currently 50 active large fires burning in 12 states. Well, this was a decades-old wish fulfilled for a Yankee fan named Gwen Goldman. She wrote a letter to the team 60 years ago asking to be a Batgirl. The general manager at the time wrote back saying a young lady would be out of place in the dugout. Well, that all changed last night in the Bronx. Current Yankees GM Brian Cashman surprised the 70-year-old with a new letter on the anniversary of her original rejection letter, inviting her to be an honorary Batgirl for the game against the Angels. In addition to that, Goldman also got to throw out the first pitch before the game. The Yankees invited her as part of the team's annual Hope Week, which stands for Helping Others Persevere and Excel. You got to hear her reaction. It's unbelievable, Brian. And if she wasn't a Yankees fan before, she certainly is now. And it's all thanks to her daughter who wrote the letter back to the Yankees telling him about it. I have a feeling she's a she's a pretty doggone big Yankees fan there. Uh, good. No, I'm not a Yankees fan, but how could you be, be upset with an organization for doing that? Very cool stuff. Francis. All right. Thank you. Good for her. All right. Now, let's get more headlines from the business world, including Amazon going a little retro, the NFL's new slogan, and gambling on your next Domino's takeout order. Rahel Solomon is back now with these trending stories. Rahel, what's going on this morning? Uh, Hey, Brian, good morning. So let's start with the NFL releasing a commercial showing its support for the LGBTQ community with a new tagline, football is gay. comes on the heels of Las Vegas Raiders defensive end Carl Nassib revealing he is gay. He's the first active NFL player to do so. And Amazon is launching its own record subscription service called Vinyl of the Month Club. The subscription service will cost $25 a month. You don't have to be a Prime member, but with it, the company will send you a single album each month featuring LPs from the 60s through the early 80s among the artists to be featured. Aretha Franklin, Led Zeppelin, Miles Davis, and Fleetwood Mac. Brian, I feel like that is right up your alley. Also, forget 20 minutes or less because Domino's is launching a new guarantee. Two minutes or less for takeout. Check in when you arrive. And then a Domino's team member will bring out your order in less than two minutes or it's free. But here's another thing. So they're in partnership with DraftKings. Customers can now bet if the nationwide average wait for curbside pickup ends up being less than two minutes at least 80 percent of the time. And a wager gives you a chance to win a share of two hundred thousand dollars. Brian? Right, me thinks this might be a little bit of a PR stunt, but the fact we're talking about it maybe I mean, verifies that's, that's that. I mean, that's the but, skeptic oh, okay. in you, but that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, tw- tw- 20, 25 years of doing this, I guess, will get you a little skepticism. But here's the thing, Rahel. When they say two minutes, I mean, they've got to let you know the pizza's done. Otherwise, just make the order 
race to the store and say, where's my two minutes? No, no, right? no, I mean, no, no. Once your order is ready, exactly, you will be waiting less than two minutes. So when I heard the story, uh, I thought, you know, I hope they get these workers some good shoes because it's the workers they have to run out and get it to you. Also, it sort of reminds you of that Home Alone scene, you know, when the, the driver gets up and knocks over the statue and runs to try to get it to you. I think it was in 10 minutes or less. So something like that. But, um, yeah, not too shabby. Maybe a free pizza and maybe a share of $200,000. 200, and the question is, you also bet on how many slices you eat before you get home and <laughs> anger your family. What happened to those two slices? That's a very, know, that's a very you problem, know. Brian. That's very specific to you. Oh, it's very specific to me. I get that pepperoni smell for a couple weeks in the car. Rahel Solomon, we'll see you in a few minutes. Rahel, thank you very much. All right, ahead. Back to business. And another black eye for SoftBank is one of its portfolio darlings, at least a former darling, slashing its targets for its American IPO. And a gentle reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and others. Dow features up 47. We're back right after this. The market's record run rolling forward as big tech helps push the S&P and NASDAQ to more new records. Kathy Wood going big with her love of Bitcoin. But a recent J.P. Morgan note says as the summer wind sets in, investors continue to cool on the crypto. It's a different story for New York City real estate. It's looking red hot. Kirsten Jordan of Bravo's million dollar listing is here to lay out what she says is fueling the high demand where the Manhattan market may be going. It is Tuesday, June 29th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Oh, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's how your money is looking about halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. It is 526 a.m., Futures, they are up at least on the Dow. We are seeing Dow futures up about 51 points right now. NASDAQ futures slightly in the red. S&P pretty much exactly flat. All this as we come off yet another record high for the S&P 500 on Monday. And it's not just the broader index. Here are a couple of super stats just for you. 37 stocks in the S&P 500 hitting all-time highs on Monday, including Names like NVIDIA, Microsoft, Target, which, by the way, Target at its highest level ever, dollar and inflation adjusted, going back to its IPO in 1967, the old Dayton Hudson, Cintas, and a few others at records as well, and 51 stocks. My math tells me that's about 10% in the S&P 500 have more than doubled in the past 12 months. 10% of the S&P 500 more than doubling. Wow. All right. More in the markets and your money coming up in a few moments. But right now, let's get a few more top money headlines this Tuesday, including a big push to get a Bitcoin ETF. Rahel Solomon is back now with some of these. Rahel. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Yeah. So the Department of Justice antitrust investigators are reportedly stepping up their scrutiny of Google's digital ad market practices in recent months. According to Bloomberg, officials from that division have interviewed multiple Google competitors about the tech giant's business in that sector The apparent move shows that the Biden administration is actively extending an investigation that started under former President Trump. Chinese grocery app Ding Dong is slashing the size of its IPO here in the U.S. The SoftBank company is now looking to raise roughly $94 million 
down dramatically from its earlier plan for up to $357 million. The move comes after rival grocery app Miss Fresh, backed by Tencent, plunged in its market debut last week. And Kathy Wood's ARK Invest is looking to create a Bitcoin ETF. Wood's firm formally filing paperwork to do so with the SEC yesterday, saying that the ETF's objective is to, quote, track the performance of the crypto. ARK Invest is working in partnership with 21 shares to launch the fund. Wood, a longtime Bitcoin bull, has been buying up surrogates of the crypto in names like Coinbase and Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Brian, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you very much. So why don't we leave it there and pick it back up there as well and stick with crypto because Bitcoin continuing to trade well off its highs earlier this year. And according to a recent note out of J.P. Morgan Chase, it is not Elon Musk cryptic tweets or even the regulatory crackdown in China that is bringing crypto down a bit. It is maybe the death of cash flowing out of the asset class and very little interest, at least right now, among big institutional players, bringing out the author of that report, and that is Nicholas Panagucciolo, global market strategist at J.P. Morgan. Nicholas, good to have you back on. Has institutional interest in Bitcoin and other major cryptos, has it dried up or has it simply slowed down? Um, it has dried up. Um, it had even turned negative uh, in May. Uh, is probably closer to flat at the moment uh, when we look at the institutional impulse in futures or Bitcoin funds. Uh, what uh, I think is uh, important here to highlight is that the slowing uh, and the drying up of this institutional impulse uh, had begun in May already. Uh, we started um, seeing, sorry, in, in April already, before the May correction, we started seeing already in April a shift away from um, Bitcoin funds uh, into physical gold ETFs, which means that some of the institutional investors that back in the fourth quarter of last year, they saw an opportunity to uh, move into Bitcoin away from gold. Uh, they did the opposite. They started doing the opposite uh, from April already. Um, so the moment we are still stuck, we don't see a lot of like buy the deep flow. Um, uh, we uh, had seen previously in Q4 of last year or the Q1 mm -hmm. uh, of this year. And we have this additional headache, uh, which is uh, the potential um, uh, selling of uh, grayscale trust um, uh, shares um, as the lockup period uh, expires this uh, next month. Uh, and that selling pressure is like Nicholas, let, let me jump in for a second. Do you think that the volatility, and we're showing there's been something like, I don't know, 10, 50% drops, three, 80% drops over the last number of years, but those were done when it didn't have the interest and the publicity that it does now. Does the volatility we're seeing, do you think, or do you have any indication of that's scaring potential investors off maybe permanently? That's difficult to say permanently. Um, uh, it's, um, uh, it's, 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 it's difficult to uh, uh, view that as permanent. My guess is that the volatility of Bitcoin will uh, normalize uh, from here. At the moment, um, it's uh, six times bigger, the vol of Bitcoin relative to gold. I think that ratio will perhaps convert towards four. But uh, I think uh, it's, it's, it's for sure a problem. Uh, I, I don't think... Um, 
uh, it will create a long winter uh, in in terms of like Bitcoin markets. Um, uh, to me, the key here is not vol, it's, it's price. I think the lesson from the past couple of months is that demand for Bitcoin is not price insensitive. And there is going to be a price uh, where institutional um, interest uh, will, will, will pick up, uh, I think, irrespective of the volatility. So that's more important. Does your research, Nicholas, show any indication as to whether there's a divergence of interest in the other coins and the other cryptos like an Ether or an XRP or a Litecoin? Or do you believe that ultimately that while people may disagree with this, they are going to pretty much trade together as an asset class? Yeah, I think there has been a divergence actually between Bitcoin and uh, other cryptocurrencies. Uh, back in April, um, there was uh, not only money flaying Bitcoin funds to uh, enter uh, physical gold ETS, but also Ethereum funds. So there was also some institutional shift back in April from Bitcoin into Ethereum. And now we are seeing the opposite. Um, the um, uh, flow into Ethereum funds has slowed uh, over the past two, three weeks at the same time as the flow um, uh, into Bitcoin funds has turned a bit less negative, uh, has, has improved. Uh, so that, that means here that um, there is perhaps a relative value opportunity that some institutional investors are seeing Mm-hmm. to buy Bitcoin and sell other cryptocurrencies. So I think when we look at the share of Bitcoin in the total cryptocurrency market, uh, it, wa- it was like 60% uh, back at the beginning of April. It dropped like very abruptly uh, in a matter of weeks from like 60% yeah. to almost like 40% by May. And now we are like at 46 I think a healthy number there in terms of the share of Bitcoin as a percentage of the total cryptocurrency market cap um, is, is 50% or above. Uh, I think that's another indicator to watch here um, yeah. in terms of whether this like bare face is um, uh, over or not. Well, we're just about 50% certainly off that highs, and we are watching Bitcoin with a lot of keen interest, as well as the cryptos generally. Nicholas Panaguchaloum. Nicholas, we appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. An important conversation around the cryptos. Hope to talk to you again. Thank you. All right, coming up, a deadly heat wave out west and triple-digit temperatures hitting Washington and Oregon. How much longer can it last? Bill Karen standing by with the details on when any relief may be coming. We're back in moments. Welcome welcome back. It is 538 in New York City as the sun begins to rise, certainly over the Big Apple as well. Looks like another day hot, but not that hot when you consider what's going on out west. It has been 100-degree heat in Seattle for three days in a row now. And parts of Washington state could hit a staggering 118 today. The historic heat wave resulting in things like highways buckling under the weather and real fears of fires. For the very latest now, let's get to NBC meteorologist Bill Karens. Bill, it is day three. Any sign of a break in the heat out west? 
Uh, for Portland and Seattle, yes, it'll feel significantly cooler today, although still hot, uh, as the real peak of this heat wave begins to push a little more into the interior. But we have to first recap what happened yesterday because it just is mind-boggling. So we have a list of all the major cities and the hottest temperature ever recorded in those cities. Obviously, Phoenix is top of the list. 122 is the hottest ever in Phoenix. Then Vegas at 117. Then look who makes the list now at number three in our country for the hottest city with a temperature ever recorded of 116 degrees. Portland, Oregon yesterday. That is mind-boggling. They were, had a, they were at 107 before this event occurred. I mean, to be nine degrees hotter than that is unheard of, unparalleled. We've never seen that anywhere with a major climate site making a nine-degree jump on their all-time record high. And how about Seattle? Seattle wasn't even, like, in the top 40 on the list, and now they've jumped up to 16th. Seattle now has an all-time record high of 108 yesterday. That passes Baltimore, Washington, D.C., New York City. I mean, that's insane that Seattle's now up there with a city like Nashville. You don't consider Seattle a hot city. So for today, we still have 12 million people impacted in the west under heat warnings. In the east, we're now watching, especially Philadelphia area, excessive heat warning. We have 44 million people in the east. It's a different type of heat in the west. It's hot and it's dry. In the northeast, it is just the hazy, hot, humid. It's just kind of like the middle of summer type stuff you'd expect. We will still see some really impressive stuff today. Spokane, Washington should be 110 today. Notice that we get a slightly cooler tomorrow. So the coastal areas are better, but it's the northern Rockies that will still be really hot. And then as we head towards the east, today's just going to be a very sweaty day, Brian. 101 it will feel like in New York City, but tomorrow will be the end of it because we will see some big-time thunderstorms. We'll talk more about that in the days ahead, moving through the Northeast on Wednesday. So, uh, yeah, I mean, pick your poison, right? I mean, the Northeast and the Northwest just been brutal this week. Yeah, I saw that it was like 112 or something in Vancouver, British Columbia, and Saskatchewan. It's not just the U.S. as well, but the good news about you know, 100 degrees in central New Jersey, Bill, is that it's not just hot and humid. You've also got trillions of cicadas getting in your face. So that, that uh, eases the pain a little bit. Yeah, get rid of those things, too. And, uh, yeah, the 4th of July forecast, by the way, looks cool and rainy in the Northeast. We can't win. One or the other, by the way. Bill Karens, at least the cicadas do appear, at least from my little vantage point, to be Going away soon, because they've been driving me nuts for about, yes. about a month now. Bill, thank you very much, as our, as our viewers know. All right, well, despite concerns about the future of the city, the New York City real estate market is showing some big-time signs of life, especially on the high end. But is this just a few big one-off deals or the real sign of another turn higher? Kirsten Jordan is a broker with the real estate firm Douglas Elliman and, of course, a cast member on Bravo's Million Dollar Listing. Kirsten, great to have you on the show. They're going to have to change the name of the show because Million Dollar Listing is a million dollar listing is like a two bedroom, one bath facing a courtyard in Manhattan. Even still, tell us about some of the deals you have seen lately on the high end. Is New York City back or did it ever go away? Well, what we're seeing here is that the high end of the market has really taken off and has been in a really strong space since for the last five months. So we're seeing 30 plus contracts signed in the luxury sector for 
over over you know 21 weeks now and so that's a ton of contracts signed for our market that's over four million dollars we're considering the luxury market but the other phenomenon we're seeing in the ultra luxury market is the fact that new build buildings are actually selling top down in top locations where there's a demand for more space and outdoor space so we're seeing new development buildings i can think of three in particular, actually four, that have sold where they're selling the penthouses as some of the first units to sell in these new development buildings, specifically on the Upper East Side, and we're seeing the same phenomenon on the Upper West Side. These are trades that were that are basically between 20 and 30 million and more. Um, and those are, again, trading before other units that are at the more approachable price points are selling before the buildings even hit the market. And we've seen this in the past, Kirsten, where you get these, you know, these new buildings like the Lantern Building and some of these other, you know, they, they get a lot of attention, a lot of buzz, particularly maybe with overseas buyers. But how's the overall market doing? Not just the billionaire coming in from around the world, right. but for the for the successful, wealthy family, you know, looking to add an extra room, maybe thinking they can get kind of a a, a you know a, a a deal coming off the slump last year. How's that market doing? What's really interesting about the, I would say, a more approachable market, if we're going to call it that, which is probably the the family that's going to get that additional bedroom. They're going from a two bedroom to a three bedroom, or they're maybe going from a two bedroom to a classic, uh, to a classic seven room, which means that they get a maid's room. Um, and we're seeing significant, significant competition um, in that price range from the from the from the buyer perspective. So buyers are, are being outbid. They're bidding cash to be able to get in there and be able to um, move quickly so they can be in for the schools um, in September. And so I would say every single part of the market is seeing continued um, shrinking inventory. And we're also seeing discounts that are shrinking before we were getting, you know, uh, we had over 10 percent average discount on pricing for closed sales. Now that's under 10%. We're continuing to see that shaved off to 8% and even less, especially when apartments are well-priced, we're seeing those go over the asking price. So I would say the deals are gone and people are back. New York City is back and everybody's trying to get ready to be able to be here for September because offices are opening and schools are opening. So you think there's still going to be a lot of activity to round out the summer because, you know, J.P. Morgan and others are like, hey, we, we need you back at the office. All of a sudden, some guys in Bozeman, Montana is like, uh, I guess we got to go back to the city. I mean, it's all going to be happening in the next two months. Yes, it is. And there are many offices that are asking the their workers to come back now and not wait until they come back in September. A lot of them have decided that July is the month. Yeah, everybody I know on the street is back maybe one or two days a week, but they expect pretty much full time back after Labor Day. Anyway, very hot New York City real estate market. A lot going on in the city. Kirsten Jordan, a pleasure to have you you on Worldwide Exchange. Kirsten, thank you. Take care. Good morning. All right. On deck. You're very welcome. Your morning RBI is back. And why you better get ready to pay more, not for a million dollar condo, but for a burger or a coffee, maybe a lot more. It's a little talk about indicator that you got to know, and you're going to hear it coming up. 
And a program you know catch Buffett and Munger, a wealth of wisdom tonight. And here for the Oracle of Omaha and Charlie Munger, they share stories of deals that have made Berkshire Hathaway what it is. That premieres tonight, CNBC, 8 p.m. Eastern, Dow Futures of 55. We're back right after this. Well, today's most random but interesting thing has to do with jobs, costs, and possible inflation. Because they're all kind of going together right now in a way that we've not seen in years or even decades. First off, the job market is as red, red hot as can be. Many companies, including millions of small businesses, just simply can't find workers. Now, you can insert your own reason why here, but overall, the job need is not a debate. The conference board reporting last month, the percentage of Americans who say that jobs are, quote, plentiful is nearly 47%. That's up about 10% from the month before. By the way, we get that June number later on today. We'll bring it to you tomorrow. Now, this ultra-tight job market is causing mom-and-pop shops to pay their workers a lot more. You've probably heard stories of 17-year-olds getting $20 an hour to do jobs that usually paid minimum wage. And the most read story on CNBC.com yesterday was about $1,000 signing bonuses just to show up for work at airport restaurants. And while many may view this as a good thing, you know, just pay them more. Just keep in mind that when you pay more, the costs are going to get passed on to you. The businesses are not going to eat it. Look at this chart for the National Federation of Independent Businesses and Morgan Stanley. Nearly half of American companies are planning to raise their selling prices. Look at that spike. It's not only the biggest spike in the index's history. It is the biggest spike by far, dwarfing that of even the go-go 2008s. So what's so random but interesting about this? Well, if this data holds true and companies do what they say they're going to do, wage inflation could soar soon, which is great unless you're also buying for paying for stuff with your higher wages as well. Random, but interesting, and maybe a little more expensive. All right, let's get back now to stocks and what is shaping up to be a first half to remember. We're just two days to go in the first half, not two days to go forever. Transports, having their best first half since 1997. Regional banks, their best first half on record, going back to when that index was created all the way back in 2006. Oil, best first half in over 10 years. Copper, soaring, small caps, best first half since the mullet was still in fashion back in 1991. A six months to remember. Let us bring in Jenny Harrington, Gilman Hill, Asset Management CEO and Portfolio Manager, CNBC Contributor. Wow. So first, first six months, certainly to remember, Jenny, I guess more of your clients are probably wondering what happens in the next six months. Right. And I think this is where, you know how they say life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. Well, investing isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And I think if you look at those six-month periods, it can feel like a sprint. But to be a successful investor who builds wealth over a long time, you need to look at the marathon of it. So I look at those numbers and I'm like everyone else out there. I'm like, Whoa, those are huge. You know, does that mean it's over? Did I miss it? Is it too much, too fast? But if you take a step back, it's not so crazy. So let's just focus on the energy numbers for a second. Um, energy, biggest first half ever, right? Crude up so much. 
But if you look at it from a five-year perspective, it's very different. Actually, on an annualized basis over the past five years, the energy sector is down 5%. Meanwhile, crude five years ago was about a little over $40 a barrel. Here we are five years later, it's a little over $70 a barrel. You look at the stocks behind that, things like Royal Dutch, Chevron, Total. You can look at some of the midstream companies like Kinder Morgan or or Energy Transfer Partners or Enterprise, and they're trading at, at... 12 times earnings, 14 times earnings. Many of them have 3, 4, 7% dividend yields. If you take a macro look at that, you also see that the big ESG push has actually pushed down supply. Meanwhile, demand hasn't peaked yet, and the alternatives like wind and solar aren't quite there to pick up the slack. So you can look at those big first half numbers, be jarred, think you missed the boat, but if you take a step back, you can see that there might be a long way to go still. There's still opportunity to invest in many of these sectors. Well, that gap between the stocks and the oil prices, we have shown many times, Jenny, is a huge gap. When oil is at 70, the stocks tend to be at a certain level, and in many cases, they're 30 and 40 percent below that level. So a big disconnect between the commodity and the companies, even as their balance sheets get better. So does that mean right. that you're a buyer of a, of a Kinder Morgan or a Chevron or a Royal Dutch Shell? I am. Um, so not just a buyer today, not a new buyer. We've had these in the portfolio for a long time. But interestingly, Chevron, for example, I guess it was two weeks ago, we had extra cash. And so I rounded up the Chevron position for clients who didn't, who didn't have a full position in it at that point. Clients who are coming in with new cash, that's what I'm putting them into right away because there's opportunity there. And I think one of your earlier guests was talking about how you know valuations seem rich or, or they're not cheap. But actually, that's the beauty of being an individual stock investor and not needing to paint with a broad brush. There are what, I can't even remember anymore. There's like 5,000 publicly traded companies. That means there's 5,000 companies to choose from. You're always going to be able to find something that's not trading where it should be, that's at a discounted valuation. And I think there's a lot of opportunity in the energy sector, even though it's had this big run in the first six months. So yeah, that's a, to me, that's a comfortable, you know- comfortable place to continue to put money. Okay, I think the only thing maybe more hated than oil and gas, of course, a lot of companies saying they just simply won't own it, not the case of the next group, has been New York City real estate companies. What we just talked about. I mean, a year ago, some of these mortgage REITs, Jenny, I don't need to tell you, looked like they were going out of business. I mean, we're watching their bonds were getting crushed. The equities are getting destroyed. These names have come back, but it sounds like an SL Green, maybe a few others. You think there are still, still money to be made in these names, which got just absolutely hammered last year. Right. And so I loved your previous guest, Kristen Jordan, um, because it completely supported a thesis that we have. In our portfolio, we have two investments that are supported by the resurgence return to New York City real estate. One is SL Green, and the other is New York Community Bank Corp, NYCB, which we just added last week. So these are interesting. They're still way off their highs. Um, SL Green, for example, has a 4.5% dividend yield, got crushed last year, trading as if no one was ever going to return to any office ever again. Meanwhile, their tenants are things like the big banks, the law firms, companies that actually did really well. They are, as we all know, painfully well. They are bringing their tenants back. And by the way, they have eight to nine year lease terms and their occupancy is still in the mid to high 90% range, even with everything that's gone on. So they have this very long runway. They have super high quality buildings. New York Community Bank Corp is really interesting. They lend to um, to the owners of large apartment buildings, like not the super fancy ones, the ones where normal people who do normal things live. They only have about 3% 
um, vacancy rate and a 6% dividend yield. That should be a big beneficiary also. You know, given given some of these beaten up names like oil and gas and, and New York City real estate, maybe we should take another reality show, call this segment American Pickers. Jenny, what it feels like. <laughs> I think they have one called that. <laughs> oh, yeah. American Pickers 2. More Pickering. Right. Jenny Harrington. American Pickers Mills Stock Edition. <laughs> That's it. Let's do it. We're in. There we go. I'm in. I think we just have a show. <laughs> Jenny Harrington of Gilman Hill, I am in as well. Jenny, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. Like it's of the oil and gas games as well as the New York City real estate plays. All right, folks. Well, that does it for us here on a Tuesday Worldwide Exchange. I'm hosting Halftime Report, so I'll see you at noon Eastern time today. We're seeing Dow futures up, Bitcoin up as well. Spock of the gang will pick up the coverage next. We'll see you tomorrow right here on West. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.